Well, greetings, everybody. Welcome once again to the Rec Poker Podcast and YouTube video. I'm your host, Steve Fredland, and we are sponsored, as always, by running Aces, Racetrack, and Casino. And this is episode 129, and I'm excited to let you know that we have a special guest on the podcast tonight, and that is Peyton Smith, who is a young Minnesota player. Uh, he's actually a college student who plays in his spare time. He's not even quite old enough yet to play in the World Series. Uh, he's only 20 years old, but he is a, a definitely an up-and-comer. He's definitely one to watch on the poker scene, and uh, we're delighted to have him uh, on the show, breaking down some hands, and just a, a phenomenal interview. Very, very good thinker. So I think you're going to enjoy uh, the interview that we did with him. A couple of quick announcements. Crazy Like a Fox, our training session is nearing the finish line. Uh, we have two sessions left. Uh, it's just been a great time of learning and applying, uh, building community, uh, and some great relationships coming out of that. So uh, thanks to those of you who have participated in that. Uh, we've got some of our students have been binking tournaments. Uh, it's been fun to see myself, Stacy, and others uh, showing up on the leaderboard and winning tournaments. So it's been fun to see that as well. Uh, running Aces Player of the Week for the week ending May 5th. Nate Franklin, Brian Soja, who is part of Rec Poker Nation, Timothy Bray, and Kevin Kelsenberg, uh, rounding out the top four, those who got tournament lammers because of Player of the Week, so congrats to you, fellas. And I haven't mentioned Patreon for a while. That's a way that you can support what we're doing here. Uh, as you know, the podcast and most of what we do is free of charge, uh, and that's perfectly fine. I'm excited to do that. But if it's something that you want to support and say, hey, I want to be part of Rec Poker Nation, uh, I want to encourage what's going on there, you can go to patreon.com slash rec poker, and you can support what is being done here for as little as a dollar a month. It's basically just a way to encourage what we're doing and promote uh, doing some more things to uh, to provide content and to build community as part of Rec Poker Nation. So with that, uh, let's join the interview uh, that the panel had with Peyton Smith. All right. All right, guys. Well, as promised, uh, the crew is here with Peyton Smith, one of the, the young, talented players in the state of Minnesota, a very highly respected, highly regarded young player, even though he's still in school. Uh, but but Peyton, uh, first of all, just welcome to the show and thanks for taking the time out to uh, join us. Thanks for having me, Steve. It's a pleasure. Yeah. So now you are actually still in college. You're tell us a little bit about your where you're at right now in life. I am. I uh, just got done with freshman year at Purdue. It went well. Just took a bunch of requisite classes to get them over with, and I'm studying general management. Okay. What are, what are you hoping to go uh, to do with that? I'm hoping to start my own business. I'm also going to do a certificate for entrepreneurship program. Okay. So wherever that takes me, that's probably what I'll end up doing. Have you entertained the thought, at least, of playing poker professionally? I've thought about it, but probably not going to happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, how did you even get into the poker now? So you're young. We were just talking about this before we started. You're you're not even old enough to go to the World Series yet this year because you have to be I'm 21. Yeah. <laughs> but but how did you uh, how'd you get into poker? So I actually started off playing chess. So when I turned 13, I started as a chess player. And then by 14, I was doing that competitively. And then later in that year, I was doing it nationally. So it's a pretty easy transition from chess to poker. And that's kind of what got me into it. I see Chris nodding his head. I don't, I don't, I play chess myself, but uh, I'm, I'm curious when you say it's a very interesting, trans, very easy transition uh, why? I mean, they, they seem obviously, they're, they're all strategy games, but they seem quite a bit different. Yeah. So, Chris, I'll first of all, why are you nodding your head? And then It just seems like there's a lot of poker players who are 
come from either chess or bridge kind of backgrounds that these games where you have to have a lot of sense of predicting opponents behaviors and stuff like that it seems like it's really common in poker is that kind of what you see Peyton? is that the biggest thing yeah another big thing is the ability to make plans and plan ahead so in chess you always have to be five to six moves ahead and see the lines that your opponent can take. And it's the same in poker. You have to be able to see if your opponent can check raise on the river and what you should do there or that kind of thing. Okay. Crazy. Well, real quick, I know, I think I saw it hand in mob. Your, your biggest score that you've had, at least that's recorded is a, a third place at the MSBT last year, 48 K. Yeah, I was very fortunate. It was right at the end of my senior year of high school, so that was fun. <laughs> That's pretty sweet. So you had just turned, or no, I guess you were plenty old to play it, I guess. But Yeah, I was, I was 18. I was, it was close to my 19th birthday. Okay, yeah, so you were kind of an old veteran at that point. Yeah, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's, let's dig into a couple hands. I know you had prepared a couple, so if you don't mind, let's roll up our sleeves and dig in a little bit. Okay, so the first hand is at the Minnesota State Poker Championship. That was just a couple of months ago. It was a 1K buy-in, and I'm in the cutoff with about 21K at 150, 300, 300 blind level. And I have four of clubs, four of diamonds. So it's a standard open from the cutoff. I raise it to about 800. And then the villain who's a good rig on the button, he flats me, and then the blinds fold. So right away, it's a good rig on the button. I'm going to want to proceed with caution really i'm not going to try to get exploitative just trying to play my game and any questions on the race size or anything like that yeah so you said the or the blinds 153 153 with a 300 big blind ante okay okay yeah so just fold it around to you on the cutoff you open and then the button calls what what was the button stack you were at 21k uh he was at 18k so a little bit under me Okay, yeah, I mean, it seems pretty – are you kind of a 2.5Xer? Is that kind of your standard open yeah, all the time? Later in the tournament, I'll go more towards 2X. Okay, do you do you vary your open sizes by position at all? Um, only on the button and small blind usually. So on the button, I'll mix in a min-raise up to a 4X, and then the small blind, small blind, I'll go anywhere from either a min-raise to even like up to a 5X. How do you how do you decide that? Are you just sort of randomly choosing those, or what? What's your is it the player type, the the stack size? What's kind of it depends on stack size and who your opponents are. Okay, so what would make you do a you know a two x on the button versus a four x on the button? Um, a four x on the button would be if I'm up against either a bad rig or someone who's not very well experienced. Whereas I'll open smaller if I'm up against a good rig or a good player. Is that a pot control thing, or you just think the good players are just going to get rid of their hand if they don't have anything, or what? What's I think they're generally going to play more correct ranges, whereas if you open a four x against a lesser player, they might fold hands that they should be defending more. Interesting. Okay. Do you do you notice like I so we're not even in the hand yet, but like the big blind ante? Have you noticed anything with that? I know now running aces has gone to that for all of their weekly tournaments. Uh, I'm a big fan. Uh, but do you notice that people are defending more with it out of their big blind because they feel like they've got twice as much quote unquote in there and already invested or have I mean, you noticed? And yeah, I've thought about this a while, but I don't really see the ranges changing much. If anything, they get a little bit looser, but I won't say it's too noticeable. 
Yeah. Yeah. That's, I, that's kind of my thing too. It does seem like the people that do, they'll be like, I already have 4k in when the blinds are at one, two. So they'll say it, but I don't know that they're actually defending more or not. Okay. Uh, guys, any, any questions on that? Uh, you know, the, the kind of the two and a half X is um, in the cutoff with pocket fours. All right. Standard. Okay. So the flop comes down. We have four of clubs, four of diamonds. The flop comes down. King of diamonds, four of hearts, eight of clubs. So we flop a bottom set and I standard continuation bet for 800. The pot right now is 2350. So I bet a third pot because it's a dry flop and it should be hitting my range a lot more and my opponent calls on the button. Yeah. And so in there, you know, so your continuation betting is because if you, if you check, it looks fishy, I assume a little bit, plus you're trying to build a pot. I'm continuation betting because the king high dry flop hits my range a lot more than my opponents because I have all the ace kings in my range while he won't because he'll be three betting those pre. And then I bet a third pot because not a lot of hands are going to continue. You just try to get a hand like queen jack out of there. And are you continuing with all dry flops? I mean, like king eight three, are you continuing here? Um, King A3, I am continuing with my pocket fours, yeah. Now, you flopped a set here, right, just to be clear? I did. I did flop yeah. bottom set, yeah. Okay, and your, your third your third pot bet size, I think for a lot of recreational players, they think, okay, I'm going to bet small because I want to get them to be able to stay in. But really what your, your bet sizing is really a function of the the flop texture, right? Yeah. So I'm not going to be betting more here with a king or anything. I'm going to be betting the same amount with my entire range usually. And that's just dependent on how the flop hits my range and if their hands can continue on it more or less. Yeah. And just to be clear, like, like you would like, obviously you're not giving away all your strategy and you'd like to mix it up a little bit, but, but you know, you, you have ace queen here, you have pocket fives here. You're continuing because again, not because your hand hit the flop, but because it's better for your range versus your opponent's range. Yeah, I'm going to be continuing with most of my hands that raise pre on this flop because it's just so much better for me than my opponent. Yep. And and if this was a if this was a uh, I guess a wetter texture sort of flop where you still flop to set, say sort of a you know king of clubs, queen of clubs, four of hearts. Okay. Then you, yeah. You then beef I'm, it up a bit. I'm definitely c betting, and I'm beefing it up to probably about fourteen, fifteen hundred. Okay, so about two-thirds. Yeah, either half to two-thirds is fine here. Yep, and that's true whether you hit or not? Uh, whether I hit or not, yeah. But yes. I'll be a lot more selective with my range the wetter the board texture is. Say, say more about that. So you're – so – okay, so, so, so it's pocket threes or something you might choose to just check here. Pocket threes I might check if the board is king of clubs, queen of clubs, four of hearts because my opponent would – then continue with even jack tens. He might continue with jack nines. There's just a lot more hands that he'll continue with that pick up equity. Whereas on a king eight four rainbow board, he's not going to continue with those hands. Yep. Okay. So are you kind of you kind of be in give up mode in pocket threes? You just check fold. Yeah, probably just check fold. Yeah. Which is something you know. It's another thing that you know we're all kind of learning too. Is when are those times where you you know you fight for a pot, and when are those times when you give up a pot? Yeah. And and this yeah. seems like one of those tricky spots. Like, you know, it seems like, man, I should see bet this because they're going to fold a lot of their stuff. But what I'm hearing from you is it's just if whatever they, well, I'm not trying to put words in your mouth. I'm just trying to understand, yeah, um, right. you know, what, whatever they're defending their button with, 
when it's king eight four, obviously less of that range hits that versus king queen four, a bigger chunk of their range hits that. So that's where it's, it's, it's just much more likely that they hit the flop or that they're going to continue. Exactly. Especially the button range because it's a lot of either Broadway hands or suited connectors. So the extra Broadway card on the board is definitely going to hit them a lot more. Yep. So do you ever, I mean, I think one of the, one of the things that a lot of the wrecks will do too is, you know, something like that, the King eight, four, you flop bottom set, you're feeling great. You don't want to push them off of their ACE nine. You want to, you want to give them a little bit of rope so that they can, you know, they hang themselves a little bit. So it's sort of tempting to check there. Uh, obviously you're risking a check back, which kind of sucks, but what, mm-hmm. what sort of your perspective there? Is it just, it's again, just comes back to this range versus range thing, or, you know, do you ever do entertain the thought of checking there against certain players? Uh, sometimes if you have a read, you can get exploitative on a player and you can check there, but usually you're going to want to balance your range with your strongest hands as well as your weakest hands, which actually will come into play later. So you're primarily going to want to bet because if you're always checking your best hands, then when you bet, what hands do you have? Right. And what value would you be checking here? Uh, what do you mean by that? So, like, if you're not checking your sets, like, what what kind of value could you show up with if you checked this flop instead of continuation bet? It would you be checking back like a king here, or I think you could definitely check top set. So, kings okay. here is a good check a lot of the time because your opponent's less likely to have a king to continue. So, you're going to want them to realize their equity. Say they have like a nine ten here, and they turn a nine then you're going to want to get value from that. So you're going to check more often. Hmm. Okay. Okay. So the button flatted there. So the pot is 39.50 right now. The turn is the seven of hearts. So it brings a flush around the board. And it's a good card for my opponent's range because he's going to have a lot of two pairs here with an eight, seven. It's just going to hit his range more if he flatted with a gut shot. So I decided to to check and this is good because it balances out my range because he bet 1400 and then I check raise to 4,100. Now I can do this with my weakest flush draws to protect equity. Whereas I'm going to want to check call with an ace high flush draw because it can river a top pair that's usually good so a good check raise range here is going to be like a queen jack suited queen 10 suited jack 10 suited all of hearts where they're not going to river any top pair equity but they have good playability with the flush draw hmm. so the, the lower the equity the more you want to check raise exactly yep so I need a little bit of clarification on this, or I think it'd be good for all of us. I think, so you said the seven of hearts is, is good for your opponent's range. It is which, good for my opponent's range. Right. Which, which makes me, my initial reaction to that is, well, if it's good for their range, why would we not bet here on the turn? Because they're likely to have hit it and they're going to continue and we can get more value versus, you know, check raising. Uh, can, to walk me through that a little bit, like, you know, I, I'm always so worried to risk a check back when you're trying to get value from a player that maybe hit that card. But tell me a little bit about the, the merits of leading out here versus check raising. Okay, so I'm, I'm trying to check raise to build the pot more because I have a set 
normally my set here is going to be golden. It's going to be way good. So by me checking, I'm expecting my opponent to bet a lot. And I think the seven of hearts hits his range a lot more than it hits mine because I'm going to be, like we talked about earlier, I'm going to be C betting really wide on the dry flop. So if I check here, it's representing that I'm just sort of giving up. Yeah. And then he can bet because he hits this card a lot more. Okay. So obviously the key to that is you're pretty confident that he's going to fire if you check. Yes. And is that, so it's based partially, I mean, part of that is the seven of hearts being a potentially a good card for him now. You know, like you said, the eight sevens are there, the nine, 10, maybe don't pick up a draw. There's a heart draw out there now. So there's a lot of good things that could happen to his hand, but as part of that also, you know, just the player type as part of that, you know, because he's going to read that as weakness kind of what's, it's not just the card. Obviously there's other factors that go into play there. It is a good rig in the, on the button. So I do think that he's going to notice that, I see bet a lot on the dry flop. He might continue lightly. And then after I check, he's going to know that I could be weak a lot of the time. So because it is a good rig, like you said, I think he will be betting a lot here. Okay. So part of that's not just because of the seven hearts. Part of that's just, he's going to smell weakness and go after the pot. Potentially. True, yeah. He could just be floating you because of exactly what you just said. Yeah. He's he just floating you pre-flop. He floats you on the flop. And as soon as you show weakness, he's going to come after you. Mm-hmm. And okay. because it's a good rag, it's probably even more important to balance your range. So you have a set with the, which is a strong hand, but this leads it to a good opportunity to actually check that set in order to get more value. Yeah, that is a good point, especially with the balance in your range. If you have a set in your range here, it really protects your check range here. So if you're checking with just a one four, a one pair hand, then your opponent's less likely to bet because he thinks you have sets in your range. So, so what did you make out of his, do you, your opponent's bet sizing obviously is something to consider. You know, I, I think he went about a third of the pot when he went 1400 into the yeah, 39. He went, he went uh, in between a third and half pot. So. Yeah. Yeah. I guess you're right. Somewhere in that 40%, 30, 35% or whatever. How, do you, do you do anything with interpreting that at all? Or do you just see that as he just taking a stab or like, how do you, what, you know, versus say he had gone 2,800 into the 39. I mean, how do you view those things differently? I don't read too much into that. I think betting 40% to half pot here with any king is standard. You can even do it with hearts. So I th- I don't really read too much into the difference of 1,000 there in the bet size. Okay. And just kind of everybody has their own standard sizing. and Yeah. Okay. But then you're, so then your bet sizing now, you know, you went to three X, basically you went to three X, his sizing, which is kind of a standard play. Um, or, or is that a standard player? Like, is that kind of your typical check raise size? Um, normally I would go a little bit bigger, but because he has exactly pot behind what, what I bet 4,100, it's setting up for a polarized river shove. Genius. Okay. There's your chest. There's your chess playing ability, right? It's pretty much, yeah. I mean, so is that is that sort of instinctual now at this point that you just you're so familiar with the stack sizing thinking head that you're thinking, okay, as you're I mean, as you're deciding, okay, I'm going to check raise here. And you're yeah. deciding somewhere between, I suppose, three thousand and six thousand or whatever that, you know, okay, sort of that, sure. that check that that check raising sizing might be. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a number of factors I'm sure that are just going through your head automatically in terms of, you know, trying to get value and blah, blah, blah. Yep. But this idea of thinking about his stack size and saying, okay, the right number is 4,100 because that leaves a pot size bet behind. Is that just naturally happening now at this point? Or are you actually, uh, you know, 
sort of working through this almost like a checklist on your mind of something you have to consider? Yeah, I wouldn't say it's natural. I'm definitely thinking about how much is already in the pot, how much I have to make it so that he has pot behind. It's getting to be more natural, I will say that, but I'm definitely thinking about all these numbers on the spot. Yeah. Okay. You guys, any questions on that or comments on that? Okay. So, so you check raise to the 4,100. What, uh, what's their action? Uh, they called the 4,100. Just flatted. Okay. Just flatted. That, is that interesting to you at all? I mean, cause I, I think, I, I guess if I'm them and I don't think you have it, quote unquote, mm-hmm. I think you're probably check raising like draws, you know, some sort of draws. And I'm a little surprised they didn't just get it in there or, or am I thinking about that all wrong? Kind of what, what do you make out of their flat? you're going to want to be flat in with all of your best hands because you want to keep your opponent bluffing. So if okay. I have hearts here, I'm going to be firing the river no matter what it is usually. If you have hearts, yeah, okay, your opponent. So if okay. he has a king here, he's going to want me to keep bluffing, so a flat is definitely good. Okay, so when he does just flat, you obviously put him on. He's no longer on a draw in your opinion then. He's got a good hand. So he could have a draw. He could have two pair he could have a strong king but he definitely has something that's gonna be able to call me on the rifter okay so you think his his entire range he's either folding or flatting there uh yeah i would say most because, of his range is flat in there because he really doesn't have any fold equity anyway right if you have a big hand yeah or I, a decent hand in part he doesn't have fold equity and what is he really representing if he jams here i mean yeah, he could, yeah. in a set i guess maybe a straight, but he doesn't really have a lot of bluffs then that he can represent to jam. Right. Okay. So he just flats. And at that point, I mean, are you, uh, if you remember, I mean, do you have him on a range other than, I mean, do you think about ranges like that specifically in this case, or are you just thinking, okay, this guy has a good hand, a big draw or a good hand? Is that. I'm usually thinking about ranges here. So he can easily have two pairs with like the eight sevens that we mentioned earlier, he, or a king eight suited. He could have a strong king, uh, or he could have a draw. He could be the one that that has hearts that I'm representing as a bluff here. Okay. So those are pretty much the main candidates, though. Okay, and so really, he can't really call a check raise here with just the gut shot, say a five or a six here. Right. So I'm taking those out of his range. He can't really call with just a four or just an eight like he did on the flop. So those can pretty much be taken out. Okay. Okay. So are you thinking now the the chess player and you, are you thinking I'm probably going to jam every river or are you still kind of, you know, buyer beware, proceed with caution. Let's see what happens. Uh, I'm probably jamming most rivers. Okay. For value. For value here yeah. with the set but also representing like I have a weaker flush draw that is check raising. So it's the polarized sizing of having a pot size bet behind. Right. Okay. And how are, how much are you paying attention to like physical tells during this? Is that part of your game or? Uh, I would say I lean more towards GTO strategy, but I'm not afraid to mix in a live read once in a while. How often do you think you get live reads? I mean, like, um, like how many times do you think it, in, a, in a matter of a tournament or two that does it actually potentially change your decision? There, I have, I notice a lot of minor live reads, so I wouldn't really put all my chips on a live read or anything. But 
a lot of things pre-flop you can notice to get a read, and those are pretty important to me. And does that just then change your your hand ranging of your opponent? Is that basically how it formulates out? Yeah, it usually just starts with the idea, but you can change ranges off of that as the hand goes on. Okay. Okay, so uh, so you go to 4,100 and he calls, so you've got like 12,000 in the middle somewhere in there? Yep, there's 12,150 in the middle. Okay. And what do you I've have? Got, about, I've got you, about 15,000 behind. He has 12,000 yep. behind. Okay, right. Okay, guys, anything else or should we go to the river? Take me to the river. Okay, so <laughs> the river is the six of spades. So it brings a one-liner to a straight with the five. <laughs> And as our plan was earlier, we're still jamming this river because it's safe-ish. And unfortunately, we get snap called. And he turns over the 8-5 of hearts. Oh, I was going to say ace-5 of hearts? 8-5, okay. Ace-5 of hearts would make sense. Yeah. Yeah. But 8-5 of hearts? 8-5 of hearts. So he flopped a pair, continued, then he flopped, and then he turned, got shot in, flush draw. Yeah. So it's pretty standard, but yeah, that makes sense to you, right? I mean, there's not there's not really a misplay in there by him. Not really. Yeah. So okay, yeah. So you know, is there anything that you can do differently in this hand? I mean, you kind of played it all the way. I mean, is there anything you would do differently looking back on this hand? Doing differently, no. Yeah, I think that you're going to want to try to get value with your sets here, and you just sometimes you just run into it. Yeah. So if you if you do decide to check river and he jams, I mean, are you ever folding there? Oh no. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, <right>. <laughs> oh no. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So is there anything that you can even learn from this hand other than just kind of just kind of run into it? Because like this is this is one of the things that rec players I think really struggle with. The ones that I, especially the less experienced players that I run into, is they see something like this, and first of all, you know, the player, the other player is an idiot. You know, because he had eight five, they yeah, don't think right. through. They don't think through every step of the way, and that actually was good decisions by them all the way through. I mean, you could argue the eight five, you know, on the button defending, but I think they're part of that is floating and that sort of thing too. Yeah. Um, you know, and secondly, they're just how unlucky they are, or they start thinking of themselves <laughs> as some sort of an idiot that they lost, you know, most of their stack on something like this because they become so results oriented. Yeah. Like what? What sort of your? I mean, what's kind of your lesson overall that you can relay to the direct player on this one? Um, I would say that you just have to have a plan through the whole hand. You just have to follow your decision-making, and sometimes you just run into it. Nice. I like it. So so when you – okay, so you flop a set here. Yep. How – I mean, obviously, everything changes with bet sizing and everything changes with the, the cards that come out. But, I mean, how far – are you actually thinking this through all the way to the river at that point, thinking, here's the line I'm going to take. I'm going to plan on – you know, betting flop, check raising, turn, and jamming river. I mean, are you actually thinking that that's my most probable line? Or uh, yeah. really, you're, you're already thinking through every street. Mm-hmm. And how do I get it in here by the river? Yeah, I'm always thinking about how I can get max value. So you're definitely going to want it. The blinds are still low. We were playing... Um, 153, 60, I think. He was 60 big blinds deep. Yeah. yeah. So you're going to want a check raise in there somewhere. If you just bet, 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 you're not getting all the chips in the middle. That's interesting. Yeah. Well, because I think one of the things that, you know, I've, I've been trying to work on a lot is how do I get value from the big hands? And it is tricky because I, maybe it's just the tournaments I play or something. I don't know, but there's so many times where, you know, in this exact situation, you know, the turn will go check, check. And maybe I'm just not finding the right situations or I'm not, you know, 
I'm not looking at the ranges the right way as far as, you know, the seven hearts was a good card to check raise on. But I, I feel like I'm so worried about risking a check check and losing an entire street of value rather than, you know, trying to get an additional street of value that I end up losing value on those hands. Oh, okay. So is it what, so fix my game, Peyton. Um, but, <laughs> but like, like, you know, how, how do we balance that? Like, are there, are there turn cards maybe besides the seven of hearts, are there turn cards that you would recommend just going bet, bet, bet? Um, I think say the turn is a, a deuce of an offsuit deuce. So a deuce of spades, then you're not going to have any bluffs really. So you don't have to balance your bluff range on the turn. So then you can just go for bet, bet, bet. But on the seven of hearts turn, you're going to want to double barrel with all your heart combos that don't have an ace in it. So then you're going to need to find some value hands so you can balance it with. Okay, so you wouldn't check raise a, a, a two of spades on the turn? Uh, no. But part of that is, I heard, you know, as you're assessing your own hand, but part of that is as you're thinking about what, what cards are good for your opponent. Yeah, the two is definitely not going to help either player. So okay. that's something to think about. If it's something like a, a queen or something, would you check raise a queen on the turn? Because that'd be good for your opponent in general or no? It have to be a queen with a suit that's already on okay. the either diamond heart or club. If it's an off-suit queen, you're probably not getting enough bets, really, because your opponent's not going to have a ton of draws that are still in the pot. Yeah. If it's a if the opponent that you're facing is like a super, well, I guess they're not super hyper aggro just based on how they played it so far. But say they are, say there's somebody that's just gonna they're gonna take a shot in every turn where you show weakness. Okay. Uh, regardless of what they have, they they completely fold. They're gonna float you on a ton of flops, and they're just gonna take a stab if you show any weakness. Would you consider just check calling against that opponent, and then giving them, and then checking river? Uh, that w- that's where the whole live read aspect comes into it. So if you had a lot of history against someone that's super aggro, then sure, you can mix in a check call and give them rope to hang themselves. Because yeah, it's all about trying to get value, right? Because if you think they're going to be firing... Max value, yeah. Because if you think they're going to fire every single turn with the whole amount of their range, then your best bet might just be check calling. Yep, so that just comes down to if you know the opponent and if there's a read on them. Okay. But you can't really mix that sort of thing in your overall strategy. Yeah, yeah. Well, then, guys, any any questions on that deal, or should we go to the next hand? Just just one question on your. You mentioned when the seven of hearts hit on the turn that you would probably check raise with your non ace flush draws. Yes. So, so basically, you were not only doing the check raise based on how that card hit his range but also how it perceived to have hit your range uh yes that is true so the seven of hearts really doesn't hit my range at all so i can show more weakness with all of my hands did that answer your question yes okay (laughs) good stuff yeah if you got another one teed up for us we can we can roll i know we only have like 15 minutes left which time always flies on these things Okay, so the second hand is at the MSPT that just happened uh, last week, actually. So I'm at a table that's pretty tight. Um, I'm not really getting three-bet much except for my left, who is a good reg. 
So I've been folding a while. I've been pretty card dead. So I decided to open up the 7-4 of hearts in early position two. It's definitely not standard, but just had to open a hand eventually. So why not now? <laughs> Wait, is that, well, before you before you go further, so is that one of those, I was just bored, I have to do it, or was it more, it's the, the str- strategic side is more like my image is really good here? Yeah, it's not that I'm bored. <laughs> right, okay, it's, good. It yeah. is that uh, my image is going to be very tight, so they're not expecting the seven four of hearts after I folded for an hour. Right, so <laughs> gotcha. Open it up once in a while. Yep, okay. So the blinds are 300, 600 with a 600 big blind ante. I'm 50K effective, so I'm playing a deep stack right now. And then it folds all around to this big blind, who's a good rig, and he defends. So it folding all around is something that's definitely based on the image because yeah. I've been getting a lot of flats all day. So that wouldn't have happened if I, if I hadn't folded for the last hour. So the flop comes down. Five of hearts, five of clubs, king of diamonds, the big blind checks, and I bet 1,100. So I forgot to mention the pre-flops uh, size. Yeah. I opened a 1,500 and he called, so two and a half X. And okay. he's playing about 20K effective. Oh, okay. And what was the flop? Was it five, five king? It's five, five king rainbow. Heart, king, diamond. Okay. So 20, 20K is really the effective stack at this point then? Yeah. Okay. So I bet 1,100 continuation bet because it's a another dry flop. I know how you like them, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I do have backdoor hearts. I've got backdoor straight draws, so I can barrel on a lot of turn cards. And then I only bet a third pot because it's a dry flop again. And because the king is going to be in my range, similar to last hand. Yep. We didn't talk about that too much. And then the big blind called. Oh, back. Hey. he's back. Oh, sorry about that. No, you're fine. I was, I was in the middle of asking a question. I thought everybody <laughs> thought he was, you, you were just sick of answering my questions. It was a bad question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it was, oh, no, it was. I'm the master <laughs> of bad questions. But that uh, isn't how so I learned. So can we just cut that? Is it all fine? <laughs> right. Oh yeah, yeah. We're for, we're fine. Don't worry about that at all. Okay. Either, sorry about either that. I'll right. edit it or I won't. No, don't worry about it at all. Um, so before we get back into it, um, there was a couple of at least one question here to handle. John had asked, uh, "Can you review the chip stacks in action again for the second hand?" Okay. So sure. Do you want to just kind of quick, quick as an overview again and kind of take it? I'll go through the whole thing. Sorry about that. No, no worries. Okay. So we have fifty k. The blinds are 300, 600, 600 ante. My opponent has 20K. So we're playing about 33 blinds effective. And then I raise from early position two to 1500. So the flop came down five of hearts, five of clubs, king of diamonds, and I bet a third pot of 1100. And then and then he called you. And then he called. Yeah, my, my question on that one, um, before you so rudely interrupted it, um, <laughs> it was, um, at what point do the stack sizes start to become an issue here? Like at, you know, I mean, obviously when you, when you go 1100, he still has 20 K. So you're not right up against it yet. Yeah. And I know part of this is, you know, when you're looking for value, you're saying how to get the stacks in, but at what point do you start going, man, this guy's either going to shove or fold and you know, it's getting more risky or is that really not part of your thought process? If he gets down to 15 bigs, a shove is always in question. So you always have to be aware of that. Okay, around 15. 
Yeah, but with 30, there's still plenty of play before that becomes an issue. Yep. And you just feel like you, you've got to take a shot here because this is your range versus range is going to hit your hand more. Mm-hmm. Okay. So similar to the first hand, I have all of the ace kings in my range because he's going to be three in those pre. So, so, gi- so given the fact that he started the, the hand with like 30 bigs and he decided to uh, both defend and to now call your flop C-bet, what sort of range are you putting him on? I think he can have anywhere from sixes to tens here. So he's going to be playing. He might be three betting tens, but he could also call pre a lot of the time. He could have any king here. Yep. And then that's pretty much it. He's not going to have a lot of draws. Right. I mean, maybe like an ace-five suited, would you say? Was that in his range or not really? What do you think he's oh, taking he out of that? I forgot that he could definitely have fives here. That's trapping, but yeah. they're not really likely. Yeah. The only ones are going to be ace five, five, six, five, seven. That's about it. Maybe a four five. So. And, and that's one of the questions I have around that, like because of stack size, I'm just wondering, you know, is he deep enough to be speculating with like a five, six suited, or would you say he's less likely to be speculating because of his stack size here? Uh, what do you mean by that? Sorry. Well, you know, I mean, there some of the some of the training that we've been going through and trying to learn a little bit is, you know, at what at, at some point it's hard to speculate. You know, once you have kind of the rule of five, rule of ten, you know, where you really don't want to set mine when you're down to twenty bigs or whatever. Okay. Um, and same kind of thing with like some of these suited connector hands where they're really speculative hands. Yeah. Uh, and once you get down to a certain stack size, it's harder to really, you know, spend, you know, ten percent of your stack speculating on some sort of a speculative hand Mm -hmm. so that's where i'm wondering like do you ever consider that and say well he's probably you know because of his stack size he only had 30 bigs or whatever to start the hand i can take out some of the five six suited the seven five suited because he's probably not speculating or is that not really factor into how you think about it i think at 33 blinds especially in the big blind you're still going to be wanted defending those suited connectors but the deep the shallower your chip stack gets you are right the suited connector hands aren't going to realize their value nearly as good enough as they're going to want to. But in the big blind, they're still going to want to be defending a lot. Of the- okay. Okay, good. Yeah, thank you. Mm-hmm. Okay, so you still got him. So he's got to have a made hand of some kind here, you think? He most likely has a pair here. You don't think he's just calling or doing anything with like an ace-queen sort of situation? I think he's going to be three betting pre with the ace queen a lot. True. Of the time. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Like ace jack, ace 10. You don't think he's going to be screwing around here? You could have that. I don't really put it in the range that yeah. much, though. Okay. I'd even, I would even consider him a check raise here with those hands a lot of the time because I'm going to be C betting my entire range here pretty much. I don't really need to have a good hand on the king 5 5 rainbow board because okay. it hits a lot so and because ace 10 is sort of he has no equity really or very little equity with ace 10 you think he'd probably three bet it three better fold it yeah yeah okay okay so you go 11 he calls or 5200 in the middle okay so the turn is the ace of spades and he decides to lead for 2500 (laughs) god i hate poker (laughs) (laughs) so it's a it's a weird spot, definitely, because the ace is definitely hitting my range more than his, because I have all of the aces in my that are c betting the flop, whereas he's not going to be continuing a lot of them. But we mentioned, I guess, he could have an ace jack that calls. 
Right. But I'm not really putting it past him that much. So because of this, because the card hits my range a lot more than his, I decided to peel one. So I call him. Okay. Oh, oh time out. Time out. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. Okay. So, <laughs> you know, obviously you're just floating because you have nothing. I have nothing. You, you have seven high. Yep. And okay. Logically, here you, I'm not a chess player, Peyton, so bear with me. Okay. So you're, you're thinking through it hits your range better than his range. So my initial reaction to that is, well, he's probably got a five because now he thinks I hit the ace and he wants to start getting it all in. Mm-hmm. But but your reaction is is saying, um, I'm going to appeal because now it looks like I could easily have the ace and now I can represent the ace if he shows weakness on the river. Is that kind of the idea? Yep, that's the idea. Okay. Because with a five, the pot is going to be 11,000 after I call. So he's going to have pot behind. He's going to be shoving a five all of the time, right? Yeah. Okay, so you can, so that's the anticipation there. Like, so I'm thinking, okay, it could be a five that he's doing this with. Yeah. But I'm, or, I'm just thinking at that moment, not realizing that, well, if it's a five, then he's going to shove the river and then I can just fold and not have a problem. You're thinking there's a decent chance that I could actually steal this pot on the river. Yeah, so at this point, he either has a five or he's turning sixes through tens into a bluff because yeah. I don't really think he has an ace, as we talked about on the flop. Because he'd probably check an ace too, wouldn't he? Uh, he'd probably check call or check raise it, yeah. Yeah, okay. So it's a little bit strange to do it with an ace. Okay, so we're we're riding seven seven high here to the river. Seven high is going to see a river card. What, what do you guys think? What I, I'm so curious where you guys are at with this deal. I, I think I fold. You know, I, I'm so, yeah, I, I believe <laughs> that he has an ace and I'd probably fold. Yeah. I don't know how I could possibly do anything that would convince him that I had a better hand than him. But, but it, yeah. yeah, no, that's Peyton. And this is why it's so good, man. That's why we like the interactive sort of stuff. Cause we're all kind of learning, learning as we go here. Uh, Chris, John, Stacy thoughts. I, I I love it. I love yeah. the logic here. I would never do it, and but I love it. Like I would be too. Like oh man, but I love the logic of calling this and knowing that if you're just crushed with a five, that it's just you know you can get out on the river, uh, and you're gonna figure that out pretty quick. Yep. Um. So yeah, I think it's very uh, very interesting play. Yeah. I like the play as well, but I think this goes into the bucket of, you know, these are professionals. Don't do try this at home. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, and I know because I do try this at home. And my problem is it's a very fine line when you're able to make this play and it's not just spewing chips off. And I don't know that I have that line defined well enough in order to incorporate this type of play into my game. Or I do incorporate it, but I don't think I do it well. Um, I think it's a losing play for me. But I, I still like the play, and I think this is the type of thing that separates uh, the your normal player from the great players. That's well said. So, Peyton, can I ask a question about this too? So, sure thing. what what rivers here are you hoping for? Like what are you um, what are you, what are you hoping for that you think is gonna like keep keep this going for you? Uh, well, I would love a Broadway card 
So 10 jack or queen, because that's even harder for him to represent now. Um, anything under the five, so deuce three or four is good for me. So basically anything where he has the chance of rivering a set on me, so sixes through nines, that's probably not the best. But I think his range is still pretty much going to be shove or fold on the river. And Peyton, a question just came in from Eric Anderson. Uh, what was the buy-in of this tournament? Are, are these, would you consider these thinking players? Uh, this is the MSPT, right? This is an MSPT, yeah. So, so 1,100. Definitely thinking players. Yeah. <laughs> button on the big line i like that question chris a lot like what are you what are you hoping for i guess if you're if Peyton, if you're ranging him kind of sixes through tens i guess that's any of those cards that are kind of danger cards he could also be doing this with a king that's just trying to get to showdown so by betting small betting small in the river just blocker 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 bets yeah so are you when, when you when you float here, are you is the plan to shove river if he checks, or is the plan to shove river? Yep, and represent the ace the whole way. Yeah. And um, what if it is a little blocker bet? Well, we'll have to see on a river. <laughs> oh, okay, I, like, I want to give a shot. Uh, Taylor or Stacy, any thoughts on this one or questions? Yeah, Pete, I was just gonna check. What do you? Maybe you've touched on it. What do you think his he's got you on as far as range? Do you think, think he really got you on the ace here? Um, no, I don't think he's putting me on an ace because otherwise he – if he has the five, he might do this, but otherwise I don't think he'd be doing this. I think that I'm c-betting a lot of my hands on the flop so I could pretty much have any pair, most suited connectors, suited broadways, so I think he's putting me on a lot of air here. Okay, so he's thinking he's ahead right now. He's thinking – He's ahead, and he's trying to bet out of my equity. So if I have a queen jack here, he just wants me to fold. I got you. Taylor, do you have anything at all? Or otherwise, we can go to the go to the river. Uh, I guess my one quick question is: Is the stack size really here what dictates this play? Where if he had uh, more chips than this, he wouldn't be looking at kind of floating the turn to. Uh, field any sort of river bets or represent anything on the river or is stack size not as relevant as I think it might be? That's a really good question. So the stack size is the only reason I'm doing this play because with his stack size of about 13,000 behind, he's going to be shoving or checking pretty much all of his range, you would think. So if he shoves, you just fold and your play didn't work, but that's fine because you got out of there cheap. And then if he checks, then that's when you can make a play. So if he has about 40K behind here, he's going to be betting 10K, but he can also do that with bluffs. So that's not as polarizing as him shoving his entire stack in. That's good. All right, let's, let's, we'll get you to the river here. We're almost out of time. Okay, so the river is the 10 of clubs. So it's a favorable Broadway card for us, as we talked about earlier. And he decides to lead for 5,000 with 95 <laughs> behind so it was the lead blocker bet <laughs> you just gave chris jones a headache <laughs> okay so so i'd say 97 percent of uh recreational players myself included that i know of are probably just going to give up here mm -hmm. uh, i have a feeling that's maybe not what happened but uh what so how do you interpret let's for how do you interpret that 
because because you could look at that and say, boy, he's just trying to get any value. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he should shove because it looks fishy. This is just clearly a value bet. He wants to make it get something out of his full house or whatever. Um, but but what do you make? What do you make of those small bets like that? I'm, I'm seeing this as it can't be a five, and it's probably a king. Because if you have a king here, you're not going to want to check and then have me shove and then have a tough decision. So you're going to want to try to get a blocker bet in and just bet half pot. So he's try- you see, you interpret this as I'm trying to get the showdown as cheaply as possible, and a check isn't the way to do that. A blocker bet is the way to do that. Yeah, that's what I'm pretty much interpreting it as. And so you don't really want to deliver that good news, I guess. I did not. So I decided <laughs> to jam in the rest. <laughs> so he's got ten about 10K behind. I jammed it in, and he tanked a while, but eventually folded it. Wow. That's yeah. I mean, is that, but okay. So this is where the emotional side of the game can get the best of a lot of us. Mm-hmm. You know, we're, we're sitting there on the river sweating. Do I have the balls to do this? Sorry. Do I have the guts to do this? Um, it, I'm guessing with you though, uh, it's a logical decision that was made at least on the turn, if not on the flop on kind of how, what you're going to do here. Is that accurate or yeah, you get, you get into the emotional side of this or is it just, this is a, this is a chess puzzle that I've already figured out how I'm going to play this. And I'm just, now I just have to actually do what I've already committed to doing in my brain. Yeah. So on the flop, I'm just seat betting, but as on the turn after he leaves, that's when I'm definitely starting to put my plan together. It's not based on any emotion really. It's definitely yeah. just a thought of plan. Because the lead is strange. It's not something you see a lot. So you got to adapt to the situation and think of a plan. But I think, yeah, I, I, that, that's great. And I think the, it's the prior planning, right? It's saying on the turn, here's my plan. My mm-hmm. plan is coming together. I'm looking for this sort of a card or whatever. Uh, so then when you get to the river and you're facing that block or bat or you're facing the check or whatever it is, you already have decided what you're going to do. So you don't need to be emotional about it. You've already made the decision. Yeah, exactly. Versus I think some of us are kind of caught up in that like, Okay, here we go. You know, I think that shows to our opponents and mm-hmm. uh, all of those things. I will say that the the lead, I wasn't anticipating it as much. I was expecting either a check or jam. Mm-hmm. The lead, you, it kind of changed my plan a little bit, but not really because I'm still going to jam it. It's just a different line that I wasn't thinking was going to be too likely to happen. Right. And if he, bet, if he bets more, if he bets like half a stack, I assume then you just fold because it's you assume no fold equity there? Uh, yeah, you can start to make those reads as he puts more of a stack in. Yeah. Or at some, at some point there, there's some number where, you know, he's not going to fold. Mm -hmm. I think he's a, he's a good rig. So I don't think he's going to be putting more than half a stack in here without just shoving it in. Right. Guys, any, uh, any, uh, Chris, did you have something? Well, yeah, I just, I'm just curious. I mean, you, you, you said, uh, you kind of totally wrote off having a five here. But I have seen, especially a good reg, I have seen good regs sort of do this kind of bet to try to induce somebody to shove on them. I mean, did that, did that, how do you, how do you, how do you decide that he's, there's no way he's got a five here? Or is it just like, there's too much here. I just got to go for it. Okay. So I think I agree with you that some people will induce a bet, but I think it's going to be a lot smaller mm-hmm. because the 5,000 bet is almost half pot here. So it's looking like value, whereas in a deuce bet, it's going to be more like a fourth. So a bet more like 2,500. Um, yeah, I just think that with my float on the river, I'm going to have a lot of 
aces in my range. So I don't think he's going to be trying to minimize value from an ace. He's going to be going for it all. Hmm. Any other thoughts, comments, guys? We're a little bit over time, but any any kind of final questions for Peyton? Otherwise, yeah, Peyton, <laughs> time just flies by. We did have one question that came in. Uh, Eric had asked about uh, what, what sort of your study method or your sources of study, whether it's books or online, or how do you prepare uh, off the felt? Uh, right now I'm using Razor Edge as an online training software. Who, who, is, that, who is that by? It's by Ben CB. He's kind of like one of the best crushers online right now. Okay. Is that, so did you kind of go through the process of looking at a number of them or how did you get connected with that site? Um, it's pretty much the only one I've looked at. Okay. It's been good. So. Can't okay. Complain. <laughs> can't complain. All right. Well, any, uh, I guess any, any final words of uh, advice to the reg recs that are out here just trying to get better. I mean, so we, we've got our audiences. It's pretty vast as far as, uh, where people are at, but you know, we got people that are playing home games. We got people that are playing barley games. People that are just starting to get into the casino. Some are online, and then we got all the way up to you know people playing the eleven hundreds and beyond. Uh, but okay. you know, I think the the common thread that we have is we're all trying to learn the game together and kind of learn it in community. But what what advice would you have, whether it's either strategy wise or how we learn the game wise or whatever, to to keep growing our game? Okay, I would definitely say good bankroll management is a priority. And then for strategy-wise, it's just making your plan, trying to follow it through, and then adapting if it doesn't come out the way you want it to. Love it. Aiden, thank you very much. We very appreciate the conversation. Thanks for having me. All right. Take care, man. We're going we're gonna to hang on here, so feel free to check out uh, at any point in time. We're, we're going to continue the conversation. Okay. Thank you. All right. See ya. Bye. Yep. All right, guys. Well, what what'd you think? He's got a bright future. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, he's a smart kid. No kidding. Yeah. No kidding. <laughs> anything, <laughs> Stacey's giggling. What, anything stand out specifically? Just the way he read, you know, the way he read his opponents as to what they would do. And like, like on the turn, when, they, when he bet out, when the ace hit, I mean, I'm looking at that like, oh shoot, he's got an ace, and then I'm just get, I'm just getting out of there, right? <laughs> right. And and in his mind, he said, well, he wouldn't, he would, he we said he didn't have an ace on the flop, so because he wouldn't have called that bet with just an ace, so you can't add range back in after you've taken it out, right? And I don't think I do that very well, very effectively. And he just he just nailed it, right? He nailed it. Yeah. I think it it goes to his he looked at it the situation dispassionately, looked at the range he put the opponent on, and as long as he continues to trust that, he went through with his his read and his uh play. I don't think I would have been able to do that because that the king comes, that's one over card and people love to call with kings. Now the ace comes, that's another over card. People love to call with aces. So, and you're sitting here with seven, four, you've got nothing. <laughs> um, I, but it's a, a fantastic read uh, with that. I do think 
the fact that it was a paired board with the five five makes it less likely it, it polarizes his opponent's range. So yeah. that gives him a little bit more flexibility to be able to do that play. If if it didn't, let's say it were uh five eight instead of the five five, I think that'd be a lot harder to continue on because the opponent isn't going to um be making those big plays without either the five or something you know he's gonna he's got to have something in those cases yeah so yeah, well, no, I, mean, I, I think that's the thing is that you, you see this or you see, you know, hands on TV and you think, oh, man, you know, I'm going to I'm going to jam seven four in the river. You know, I'm going to make the big play. I'm going to be the hero. And I think that's where we go. And the reality is this is an incredibly strategically well thought out play that I would guess he pulls out once every few tournaments. Chris? Yeah, no, he he picked a spot and he stuck with his his read and he and he finished it in the on the river and I think all of those things are things that I just I really want to get better at and I wish cuz like for me I might recognize this spot and I might uh even know what the right thing to do is and like try to follow through on this but I would like even that calling that turn I would just be like oh come on I got seven high just throw it away and like, so these are plays I just, I'm not really, I don't make. And I, I just love the thought process. And it's not like you do this with every seven, four you have, but you do it in a situation exactly like this one. And so, yeah, I just, it was, it was, I really admire it. Yeah. Yeah. I think one of the, one of the big takeaways for me is his realization of where the stack sizes are. And I don't think, I mean, I know where they are to start the hand. But as the hand progresses, I kind of forget about that and just think about cards against cards or range against range and not think about what bet sizes do I need to make to put the opponent in a tough situation. And he's he was constantly thinking of that of that stack size. Yeah, for sure. For sure. So we do, do we think he, this guy folded the king? Is that what we're or a big pair, you know, six or medium pair, six, sevens, eights, or what do we ultimately think he gave up there? Well, I think Payton was thinking, yeah, he had sixes through tens, or he had he had some kind of a king that he thought he was probably ultimately uh, trying to get to a cheap showdown. All right, thanks so much to Peyton Smith. Thanks so much to the Rec Poker panel uh, for being part of the discussion. I uh, just really enjoyed this conversation. Uh, and also, once again, thanks to Running Aces, who is our official sponsor. And make sure you go to recpokertraining.com. Check it out. Uh, we have a newsletter. Uh, I send out stuff once in a while whenever there's something major happening. But uh, that's a way you can stay plugged in there. Uh, you can also subscribe on iTunes, support us on Patreon. So with that, until next week, good luck on the felt. <laughs>